Before we get to our show, here is a podcast we think you're going to love. Do you like feeling like you're a part of a conversation? Do you like listening to two idiots ramble about random nonsense? Do you like listening to people find the answers to the questions you thought you'd never ask? Well, in that case, you have really weird taste. But also, this is the podcast for you. Welcome to Luna's Story. That's me. In this podcast, I do exactly what I just said. We answer weird questions, talk about my trans experience, talk about current events, and just have so much more all-around fun. So come join me, and sometimes my girlfriend Demi, here at Luna's Story. That's Luna's Story on any given podcast platform. Hope to see you there. Welcome, five listeners, friends and enemies, gather around. It's time for Perhaps It's You, your favorite unofficial Unsolved Mysteries rewatch podcast. I'm Liz. And I'm Samantha. We are in the frozen state of Minnesota here to provide free entertainment for you. You're welcome. For you and BD Wong. Yeah. Be sure to reward us by slamming that subscribe button. (laughs) Slam it so hard, your finger hurts just like a little bit. And also, be sure to leave us a five-star review, the only type of review we accept. I do think we maybe we need to start putting that up front at the beginning of the episode, because I feel like maybe people skip the end, and maybe forget they don't know the rules. We have a, a very strict rule <laughs> here at Perhaps It's You, that we only yes. accept five-star reviews. Yes, and I I will not tolerate people breaking that rule. If you it's leave really- us... A criticism. That's fine. As long as it's five stars. But if it's one star, you're, there's going to be a lot of memes made about it. and <laughs> So many know, memes. Just will, the way it is. We will find a way to turn that negative one star review into cold hard cash. Which is my kink. <laughs> uh, how are you doing, Samantha? I am tired. Maybe you can tell from my voice, everybody. <sighs> Same. I know Samantha is tired because I got a text from her at like 2 a.m. And Samantha goes to bed at like, I don't know, 9. So I didn't expect her to be up. It sounds like an exaggeration to say that I go to bed at 9, but it's actually true. That is about I between 9 and 9.30, I'm asleep. But yeah, I've been waking up in the middle of the night a lot lately, which is just like, I don't know, pandemic, life, whatever. Probably all the above. But yeah, I wake up in the middle of the night and sometimes I make the mistake of looking at my phone. And if I see I something on my phone that like sucks me in, something on Twitter. Last night it was videos of that plane engine that, that caught on fire. Yeah, weird. Very weird. <laughs> far too long. And then I'm just like awake. Um, like I do this to sh- myself. You shouldn't look at that knowing you're not totally comfortable with flying that's the last thing you should be looking no but at. you're talking to the person that's seen every episode of air disasters i, know, I can't i know it's a, i can't stop it's like i don't know there's some kind of intersection in my brain where it's like scared of flying have to know everything about air, every air disaster in history yeah i'm sure that feels i can't control it protective in some way but i i don't want you to i don't know expand this fear because i have dreams of various trips we're gonna take so but you know what actually i feel like 
all of my air disaster viewing has helped because as soon as I saw that 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 you know I think it's United Airlines flight their their engine blew up or whatever I was like oh a plane can fly in one engine they're fine and they landed fine um I mean if I was in the plane I'd probably fucking losing my mind but <laughs> I mean I I don't I don't think you need a fear of flying to be scared when one of the plane engines is on fire well true I think <laughs> would be scared in that situation especially if you've seen the videos that's terrifying yeah, it's kind of intense yeah, yeah. um but yeah, yeah it's my own fault i'm awake at 3 a.m watching airplane you, videos on twitter <laughs> do you use those um blue blockers sunglass thingies i have a pair like that we wear at your computer yeah well i'm just wondering if you're looking at your phone in like the middle of the night because you can't sleep that might you know, oh, I never considered from, keep you from sleeping even mm. more. Mm. But I don't have those glasses. I probably should. I do have a pair that I will wear sometimes. I, I had them when I worked in an office where there was more fluorescent light. I got more eye strain than I do now. Now I sure. have the benefit of being in my house, which has you know n- nice big window over here, a lot of natural light. So I don't reach for them as often as I did when I was in the office. But I never considered using them for something like that. So good idea. Yeah, because you're not supposed to look at your phone before bed, but that's like just a thing I can't. Oh, I can't. How I, I can't, yeah, I have no. I have clearly have no willpower. If you're not doom scrolling before bed, are you even? Are you even going to bed? Yeah. <laughs> are you really sure that that's? You should be sitting there with a book, right, or something like that. Probably, yeah. Yeah. But I'm. That's not me. I'm gonna be doom scrolling until I can't keep my eyes open anymore. My mom has been reading like five, ten hours before bed. That's probably a much that and I can't much, my head around that. much healthier life. Apparently her dog wants to go to bed at like six thirty. So she's like, All right. And she gets ready for bed and we'll just like be in bed and read for hours until she actually oh, wants to go to sleep. I know. It's actually a really solid idea. No wonder she's read every werewolf romance in print. <laughs> It's a lot of reading. Yeah, she's she's been doing a ton of reading over the pandemic, even for her. So, if you've got some werewolf romances you want to send our way, there's an address on our website, (laughs) perhaps you.com, for you know fan mail, assorted gifts, yeah, Fabergé eggs, you know whatever you want to send along. Fabergé? Could you imagine someone sent us a Fabergé egg? I would sell it later that day, but <laughs> I'll take it. Should we talk about our ghost hunting class that we took? Oh, we definitely should. Because I think it ties in really nicely with this month's Patreon episode. That's true. So on Thursday, we're recording this on a Sunday, Samantha and I did a very quick one-hour Zoom class through magus books here in minneapolis which is like an occult bookstore and the topic was ghost hunting and it was led by two women who have apparently 20 years of uh, ghost hunting experience and i guess the point of it was to just like talk about the equipment used and like kind of what's different in real life versus tv and the yeah, point- like an intro to ghost hunting is what it seemed like. They gave us some tips on getting started or like how to talk to clients, things like that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, their main point seemed to be that real life ghost hunting is so much more boring than <laughs> so it is. Boring. 
<laughs> on TV because a lot of times just nothing is happening and you're just like sitting around in total silence. Um, what did you think of the class? I thought I wish it was longer. Honestly, I wasn't Same. expecting to enjoy it as much as I did. To be to be honest, uh, I really liked it. I had so many more questions that I didn't really get a chance to ask. Um, I really liked it. They were really nice. They ladies. were so nice. It, it was, was like you described the class as wholesome when we were done, and that's so true because it was, it was absolutely just- wholesome very wholesome and i feel like i say this a lot but like very minnesota to me where someone maybe it was you did you ask about how they felt on about people on tv like yelling at ghosts yes that was my question i only got one question in well i got two questions in my first one was um because they showed some video clips and one of the video clips they were just like kindly asking the ghost some questions and i was like i gotta know I get the goss. I got to know the juicy details. Like, what do they... I didn't say Zach Baggins, but I, I kind of wanted to. Yeah. I'm like, I want to know what they think about ghost adventures and, like, these bro-y, like, yell at ghosts type situations. So I was just like, how do you feel about TV shows where they yell at ghosts and demand that they scratch them or whatever? And... They, their response was the most, yeah, Minnesota response I could imagine, where they were basically just like, that's kind of rude. <laughs> we don't yell at ghosts. We treat them like people because they were people when they were alive. They're still people now they're dead. And I'm like, yeah, that tracks. They were basically like, why would we yell at them? We're in their space. We're just here to, like, have a polite conversation. And if we're nice to the ghosts, they're nice to us. And I was just like, this is so minnesota like we have to be neighborly to these ghosts we live together we're all part of a community like obviously i'm not gonna yell at ghosts that might start an argument no thank you they didn't even seem like they wanted to say anything bad about like the mean ghosts because they mentioned they like hinted at it a few times like the follow-up to that was one of them i forget which one said that they had been scratched once before and i was like oh so you've been scratched do you feel like that because they said basically said that everything on tv is treated like demonic all the time that's just not true and i was like well do you feel like that be that experience was a demonic entity or was a malicious entity and they were like no and they talked about this woman they thought it was this this woman's mom who they were doing this investigation for and she talked about how they didn't have a good relationship and she was kind of like not a nice person in real life which to me means that like she wasn't a really nice person dead and scratched her it's kind of a mean thing to do but they were so nice about the way they talked about this they were person. just like yeah it was just a very mild scratch i, I wasn't even aware that i was scratched at first you know it's like a ghost scratched you you don't have to make all these excuses for the ghost but right. i mean it seems like it, it was kind of a rude thing for that ghost to do but yeah it was um yeah they were very polite about it a couple things i thought were interesting about it was they talked about um how most of the time when they go when they're called in for they do both homes and businesses but most of the time when they're called in there's it's there is a reasonable explanation they said 90 percent of the time they don't they ghost hunters don't consider it a haunting and that they would say something like well yeah of course these pictures keep falling off the wall because you are slamming the door. You right, know, it was they, like <laughs> it was a little paranormal home investigator. They said that they'll yes. bring a level with them if there's like oh, this door always opens. They'll put a level on the ground. Be like, well, maybe it's not really perceptible to to us, but as you can see, it's like the floor isn't level, so that's why the door keeps opening. And I'm like, this is paranormal home investigator. It really, it really was. That that was very interesting to me that most of the time they say, sorry, this isn't a haunting. And sometimes people are really disappointed. Like, 
because maybe there's someone they wanted to connect with or they just like thought it would be cool and they're like no no it is and these people are like yeah sorry you just have like a draft you don't have a ghost (laughs) the other thing i thought was interesting was they talked a little bit about residual hauntings which i guess we've seen some examples of but i don't know that i was familiar with that word but it's um when sort of energy is trapped in a home and it's almost like a recording like you're seeing something from a traumatic incident like being replayed yeah i think their example was was a gettysburg yeah or, like you'll go there and you might see someone in like period clothing that's not like an actor or whatever that's obviously a ghost but you can't interact with them because it's just like a recording of that traumatic energy and I feel like there's probably been a few cases we've talked about on Unsolved Mysteries that would be considered that type of haunting, but I I wasn't familiar with that word. If anybody has a book recommendation that would teach me about different types of hauntings and different types of spirits, I would be interested so that I slightly know what I'm talking about, which was also the reason that we took this class. That was the question that I wanted to ask that we didn't we ran out of time. But I wanted to know like their personal experience with the different types of entities because I think they said there was was it three? There was residual, there was poltergeist, or was there four? Was there one I'm not remembering? And then there was the rare one, which I think they just classified as like other or like unexplained, um, which I think like maybe demonic entities would fall into that things like that. And I wanted to know like. They said you almost never see the third one. And I wanted to, especially that one, I was like, have you ever seen one? Like, do you, did you ever go into a place where you, where you think it was inhabited by this third type of entity? Yes. But I, I, you know, I kind of, I knew of poltergeist as a type of, of haunting, but I never really thought about like these other types of entities. So that was interesting to me. And I kind of want to know more. It- you know, not to maybe be too rude about it, but it did sort of seem like in their 20 years of ghost hunting, they showed us some like recordings and examples. Not super impressive. Okay, that was my one comment and critique was I thought the same exact thing because they showed a few recordings where they described what they were hearing and I did not hear no, it. No, I did A few it. times I put my headphones in. I'm like, I don't hear the the words you are saying and then there was one video they showed from like a security camera that was like clearly probably a bug i don't know (laughs) that it did move a little bit oddly and they described you know it as like they had sent it to an entomologist and they didn't know what it was or whatever but i was kind of like is this it like you don't have a a full body apparition photo or something (laughs) to show us like no i i i I mean, I think that's fine. I don't know that that, like, discredits it, but it wasn't very impressive. I mean, I think they were more interested in confirming for the owners whether or not something was haunted and if they needed to, like, clear the energy to the other side or whatever. True. I don't know that they're, like, seeking out to prove the existence of ghosts. Like, clearly they believe in ghosts. And they did strike me as very honest people. Like, I, I don't think they're, like, out to no, trick people into, sure. yeah, I, I got the sense that, particularly if most of the time they're telling people this isn't haunted, you your door is just slanted. Um, yeah, it was, it was interesting. I'm going to say, I don't know that it was, like, really worth $20, but honestly, but if that, like, keeps the bookstore open, I mean, so be it. That's fine. Right. 
it was a fine way to spend an hour on a Thursday afternoon. They seemed like really nice ladies. I would, you know, post COVID, I'd love to go on a ghost hunt with them. <laughs> like, oh, absolutely. That would and be they, fun. They did talk about, we've talked about a ghost tour we did in Anoka, Minnesota previously, and how I want to retire in Anoka, Minnesota, the birthplace of modern Halloween. And apparently, like, everything there is haunted. Just everything. Which is hilarious to me. They talked about uh, this, like, client ghost hunter confidentiality that they had. Which I was kind of a little disappointed. I kind of wanted some juicy details. About I know. I know. And they were, like, very... They were, like, we never talk about places we've investigated. There was, like, this business they kept referring to that was, like, supposedly a manufacturing place that's like apparently a big business in minnesota that's super duper haunted and they wouldn't say what it was and i was kind of like spill the deets but whatever there's like the confidentiality it's 3m isn't it i mean you gotta wonder yeah but they were saying that people particularly for businesses might not want people thinking of their businesses haunted though i feel like that could only be a boost for your business but yeah. maybe not maybe it depends maybe on what not the, maybe, 3M. <laughs> maybe not if you're running a daycare so um so maybe that was another reason why they couldn't show us some more uh, spectacular oh, findings. Yeah, but maybe. that's true. That's true. But yeah, we asked why they thought Anoka was haunted because they were like, "Well, everywhere's haunted in Anoka, so we can talk about it." <laughs> and we were kind of like, "Why do you think that?" And they thought maybe it was the convergence of the two rivers being right there. Apparently, everything just along all of the Mississippi is haunted. That seems Which like a lot of hauntings, but a yeah, a lot. I mean, I guess there's been a lot of people. There's going to be, there's more ghosts every day. It's true. Do we talk about Unsolved Mysteries now? I guess. Yeah, I feel the same way. So we're on season six, episode nine, which that just boggles my mind. We are? All right. Well, you can watch this on the good old YouTubes for free if you want to follow along. But this episode is kind of meh. I kind of wouldn't recommend this one, to be honest. Yeah. Um, we're starting off with a wanted, which Robert Stack refers to as one of law enforcement's worst nightmares. Three criminals on the road with a truck full of weapons and nothing to lose. <laughs> so that tells you what this is going to be. So this is the story of 19 year old Travis Wade Duncan, who back in 1992 was an apprentice auto mechanic in Seminole, Oklahoma. Can we talk about how Robert Sack claims that in this family's hundred year history, there had none of no one had ever had any run in with the law? Yeah, he's making this like sort of weird classist statement about how, or maybe not even, maybe it's just weird. It was, that- I thought, just kind of weird. I mean, they painted this Travis guy as like, he's just naive, he's law abiding, and then he goes on to, spoiler alert, murder someone. Yeah, I mean, I th- it's a definitely, and guess what? This guy's white. Um, it's definitely an advantage to be like, no one in his family had committed a crime in hundreds of years. And yet, then Travis came along. <laughs> and it seems really unlikely that no one, I guess no one had gotten caught. <laughs> I mean, it just seems like totally irrelevant and not something we've talked about with other people. No. <laughs> but well, I guess- How do they know? How does his family know that no one has ever committed a crime? In the whole history of their family. 
descendants, I just want you to know I've done plenty of jaywalking. So you're wrong. You do. You come from a family of hardened criminals like myself. I stole a wet and wild nail polish from CBS. Oh my God, Samantha. That's going to pollute your whole family tree. It's true. I hope you're say that my whole family's (laughs) never committed a crime. (laughs) Yeah, that's, you're right. That's super weird. And I don't know what the point of that was. Um, even okay also they were like he was a good guy he hadn't been in trouble with the law for a year i was like wow a whole year he had previously gotten into quote a minor legal scrape in texas what does that mean i don't know legal scrape sounds like he's the one in the family that's committed crime yeah i don't know but but samantha he hadn't been convicted of any crimes for a whole year so look he was a good dude okay but by June of 92, he was arrested from stealing gu- for stealing guns from his employer. Allegedly. He, allegedly. He told his he told the authorities that he actually bought the guns and he had no idea they were stolen from his boss. Which what? But the problem comes about that he couldn't afford bail, as many people can, and so he was sent to county jail. At this point, we get a terrible mustache. <laughs> This is on Deputy Withers, which of course is that's his name. It's the straggliest, sparsest mustache you ever saw. It was not Ugh. good. Not good. Ugh. I called it the preteen. I hate it. This is a mustache you would expect to see on a kid that's like 12, except this is a full grown man. Well, he's trying to get respect in the department. Well, it's never going to come with that stash. Okay. Oh, so back to the story. Travis is sent to jail where he meets 19-year-old John Fisher, who is considered, quote, charismatic and crazy. So this guy is supposed to be the foil. See, Travis, despite his one legal scrape, good guy, right? A good guy easily corrupted with his naivete. But here we have John Fisher, hardened criminal for being both charismatic and crazy. And apparently, his goal in life was to be the drug lord of Oklahoma. <laughs> Which I hope he had, like, a vision board for that. I hope he woke up every day and looked at, like, a picture of himself sitting on a pile of money doing drugs and was like, one day. One day, John. He has you just magazine clippings, glue, yeah. scrapbook. Yeah, he's like, you just keep reaching for that rainbow. One day, you're going to be the drug lord of Oklahoma and Oklahoma only. Just you wait. Um, so he would often spin wild tales to tell other prisoners of all the money he had and connections. Unfortunately, according to Unsolved Mysteries, Travis Duncan was an easy mark. I guess just they're like, look, this guy was naive as hell. He would believe anything. Which led to the two fortune, quote, an unholy alliance. <laughs> what is this language they're using in this? I don't know. Was an someone, unholy alliance? Was someone related to Travis? So they were just like trying to give him a good... He was corrupted by I this... Really, that really makes you wonder. I feel like I'm sometimes generally naive and I still feel like I wouldn't be easily convinced to do what Travis does in this episode. Samantha, do you think that you and I have formed an unholy alliance? Maybe. I mean, we I are think. killing people with our voices. You know what? We definitely have. Okay. So Travis's parents at this point get a better lawyer and his bail is reduced on the condition that he would live with his mother and father. So they post bail for him, but Travis didn't like these conditions because he wanted to go back to his own apartment or something. 
So he steals his sister's pickup truck and just drives off. At this point, he loads up the truck with pistols, shotguns, Molotov cocktails, camping equipment, food, and water. The next good Molotov cocktails, we'll see later. No, I'm not sure he knew a ton about how to make Molotov cocktails, but he tried. So the next day, he goes to the jail while a prisoner is, like, taking out the trash while under guard. All right. And then that prisoner is like, hey, can I go see Travis's pickup truck? And the guard is like, absolutely not. Why would I let you go do that? And then Travis is like, hey, you want this carton of cigarettes? And while he's handing them to the prisoner, he pulls a gun on the guard. He then makes the guard go inside and puts him in the jail cell, locks him up, and makes him take off his uniform shirt so Travis can wear it. He then gets the keys. He was going to, like, free all the prisoners, but I think most of them were probably in there for pretty minor offenses, and they were like, yeah, no thanks. (laughs) So only Timothy Johnson was willing to join in the jailbreak. It took about 30 minutes to be aware of the escape because the guard was locked up and couldn't alert anybody. And so we hear from this, like, I don't know, extremely deputy looking man. Like, of course, this guy's in law enforcement, like wearing his like, I don't know, law enforcement cowboy hat, whatever that's called. Yeah. Is this a sheriff? I don't I didn't yeah. understand why he was wearing a cowboy hat. Yeah, it's odd. But then he's like, look, we expected there to be a jailbreak from the inside, but we never expected someone from coming from the outside. And I was like. It sounds like you're not very good at this. <laughs> sounds like you were a little unprepared. You were just letting this guy walk around outside. Yeah, you, you for some reason have prisoners take out the trash while someone's guarding them. And you, I don't know, whatever. Uh, they probably should have considered that maybe someone would try to break someone out of jail. But whatever. Um, they did set up roadblocks. But they, <laughs> now we get a reenactment of travis and john and this new guy timothy like speeding down the road in this truck while they're like shooting at the cops and yeah throwing these molotov cocktails that don't actually explode i'm not sure if they're throwing them like too soon or not lighting them or what i don't yeah they call they- them homemade explosives at least robert stack does and it looks like a cartoon like giant cylinder with a wick basically but i assumed that was the molotov cocktail in reality yeah i think so i think it was just yeah a bottle and some booze or accelerant and the wick and it you know it didn't work it's probably you know poor naive travis that's probably his first molotov cocktail and he didn't have hardened criminal grandparents to teach him how to do it right so could you imagine uh, if he did? Little baby Travis was just being shown how to light a Molotov cocktail by his everyone. His teach, your, teach your children and your grandchildren. Get they around, kids. It's time they to learn how to light Molotov cocktails. I think that that's a necessary life skill. They should absolutely be taught that. Um, so yeah, so they just drive through the roadblock at 100 miles per hour. Doesn't stop them. So they're chased uh and yeah fisher's like leaning out the window shooting at cars with a shotgun blah blah blah. so eventually they're derailed because they crash through this heavy steel gate and it runs the car off the road and they flip over and um at this point a giant firefight breaks out (laughs) no one was wounded despite 70 rounds being fired so it sounds like both sides were pretty bad shots 
Um, at this point, the three escapees run into the woods, but what they don't know is that now they're trapped in the peninsula and that the woods they're in is actually this peninsula that's jutting into a lake. So at this point, some officers come on a boat and they capture John and Timothy. So when they're captured, they claim that Travis is really dead in the woods. Um, but in actuality, he had gone off on his own. So they do a massive search for three days, and they file to find Travis. What they do find is a decomposed male body of a camper that was killed around the same time that Travis went into the woods. The theory that they were operating with was that Travis swam across the lake, murdered the camper, and stole his truck. And the camper was shot in the head, right? I'm not even sure they said. They said he was shot. I don't remember where, but I thought it was in the head. Because at first I I was like, how do you know this guy didn't just die of exposure? But then Robert Stack said he was shot. I'm like, oh, okay. Oh, well, there you go. Um, So this was a wanted. They were basically like, has anyone seen Travis? He's a good kid who's committed murder, and we just need to set him on the right and righteous path. But from the update, we learned that in May 5th, 1994, Travis Wade Duncan is brought back to Oklahoma after being captured in Boise, Idaho. This was thanks to a viewer's tip. He had actually traveled around the country a lot working our jobs and including at one point going to Hawaii. Uh, He went on to serve eight years of a 20-year sentence. It is actually now believed that he had nothing to do with the murder of that camper. And that's just a really super weird coincidence. Um, just like dead, dead people all over. <laughs> yeah, can you imagine if you're someone else that's like camping in this area and not there's like three escaped fugitives running around having shootouts with the police, and then also another murder. <laughs> unconnected murder. Um. So yeah, so John Fisher eventually he was that the hardened criminal guy. He eventually went back to prison to serve a life sentence for an unrelated murder. Timothy Johnson served his time and has since been released. I mean, it's really straightforward. I don't know who murdered that camper. That's odd. Uh, I, was, it's a- I don't know what jail. We've had a few jailbreak mysteries. I they're so boring to me i don't i feel like they should be more exciting and this one has like a very exciting car chase scene but i'm like i don't know i don't care it's not in the run right now yeah i mean it's it's a little bit pointless to watch it now because he's been captured i think the only part i like about the jailbreak stories is if there's any sort of like clever subterfuge to escape but this story doesn't really have that at all so um then we get a really unnecessary update so long yeah Mm, thumbs down to that and then samantha's here very briefly to talk to us about a legend and i'm jealous i didn't get this one i'm jealous you didn't get this one either because i feel like you'd have way more to say about it than i do this is the fucking mona lisa is it real is there a painting called the mona lisa let's find out (laughs) this is yeah a a ledge a mysterious legend okay um and this is the mystery of the mona lisa uh, so Robert Stack tells us that the Mona Lisa is a famous and iconic portrait of an enigmatic woman painted against a pastoral background. Mm-hmm, Possibly sure. one of the most recognizable paintings by Leonardo da Vinci. It's one of the most rec- recognizable paintings, period. period. Yeah. <laughs> so 
yeah, I apologize to anyone if this is your favorite mystery. I have very little to say about it, but this is this is the gist. So basically, there is new evidence with computers that are taking a look at the Mona Lisa, and we're trying to figure out if it's really a self-portrait of Leonardo da Vinci. This is so pointless. It's it really is, but here here we go. So I was so <laughs> excited for like an art related mystery, which I love, but then this is like I don't know. Is it it's basically portrait? it's just basically going, do painters paint paintings? Yes. <laughs> So the Mona Lisa, like I said, one of the most famous portraits uh, from the Renaissance. It was painted in 1519 in Paris by artist Leonardo da Vinci. Uh, no one knew who the woman was. And he took his, her identity to the grave. Which, is that true? I was looking it up. And it it's, seems like we have a pretty good idea of who it was. Oh, well then this is even more pointless than I thought. I'm not an art historian, but after I'm done going through my notes, I'll read you what I found on the History Channel's website. Okay. Uh, okay. So centuries later, in 1986, a computer artist named Lillian Schwartz, who was interviewed for the show, started working with a new computer program that compares two digitized images. It's seriously just lining two pictures up <laughs> side by side, but computers were so slow and horrible that this is like revolutionary. She's yeah. like, what if you looked at one picture and another picture <laughs> on the same screen? And people were like, this woman is a computer genius. She's going to solve every art mystery known to man. So what she did is she entered a self-portrait of Da Vinci alongside the Mona Lisa through this fancy computer program. Uh, and when the self-portrait was reversed and placed next to the Mona Lisa, a single face emerged. I love that they show us what it means to reverse the image in case we were like, I don't know, confused about that. that They're just like, flip. And you go, oh, my God. MS Paint is such powerful software. (laughs) We'll never top it. Well, at this point, Lillian describes this revelation she had. And she was certain that Da Vinci had used himself as the model for the Mona Lisa. She says that everything about the face appeared to be a perfect match, including the eyes, nose, and mouth. Using a different computer, Lillian even managed to turn up the corners of the self-portrait's mouth and compare it to the Mona Lisa smile, which this looks so ridiculous. They show it on the... I don't know. I feel like you could take anyone's mouth and turn it up and just put it, put the Mona Lisa smile over it and be like, there you go. Samantha, you will not believe what these two faces had in common. Both of them two eyes <laughs> had a nose a, a single nose a mouth and not only that but they were in pretty much the same location of the face <laughs> it's an uncanny coincidence yeah so a comparison of the foreheads revealed that the super orbital ridge on both the portrait and the paintings is found mostly in males i don't know what that means okay uh, that sounds like phrenology bullshit to me but Kind of does. I can't say it's not, but kind of does. In January of 1987, Lillian took her findings to a magazine publisher, Wick Allison. He was initially skeptical, but after reviewing her scientific observations, he felt that the theory was correct. Her scientific observations that are basically a collage of putting two pictures side by side. So they believe that the self-portrait of Da Vinci used in the comparison may have actually been a forgery. Not sure about that. They believe that the Mona Lisa was not a self-portrait, but was actually the portrait 
made for a wealthy Renaissance woman. Lillian continued to look for evidence to support her theory. She found a drawing of an Italian duchess named Isabella that was believed to have been a preliminary sketch for the Mona Lisa. Measurements of the duchess's drawing matched an undersketch of the Mona Lisa. She believes that da Vinci started with Isabella and then used his own face to complete the portrait. I mean... I, we have some women say, like, oh, but that goes against Da Vinci's philosophy that you shouldn't be putting yourself into paintings. People do that all the time. Because guess what? Is always around. Your own face. Yeah. So Also, I, here's another big problem with it, which they tell us in the, in the episode, is that the, port- the self-portrait of Da Vinci would have been way older. The one that she used, the self-portrait, would have been yeah. way older than he was at the time he painted the Mona Lisa. So he wouldn't have even looked like that yet. Hmm. So I yes. don't really understand. <laughs> he didn't. He wasn't. He didn't come out of the womb looking like that. Even at a young age, he did have two eyes and a nose <laughs> and, and a mouth. Nose. So, so it's kind of uncanny, Samantha. Uh, yeah, I guess. So I'm looking at the Unsolved Mysteries wiki, which does say that this is solved, but apparently this is this is much later. So in 2005, the Mona Lisa was finally identified as a woman named Lisa Del Giocondo after researchers discovered a marginal a margin note written by a friend of Leonardo's that said that the portrait was of Lisa. Oh. And there you go, mystery solved. The History Channel says about it. Over the years, scholars have debated the true inspiration behind the most famous half smile in history and possibly even the world's most recognizable face. Proposed sitters for the Mona Lisa have included a whole bunch of people that I don't recognize their names and probably can't pronounce. Um, but eventually, Lisa. Gerardini del Giocondo, a wealthy silk merchant's wife and the mother of five children, has been the leading contender since an art historian identified her as the sitter in 1550, more than four decades after the iconic painting's completion. The 2005 discovery of a 500-year-old note by an acquaintance of da Vinci, which states that the artist was working on Lisa's portrait, confirmed the theory for many scholars. It is thought that the Florentine beauty's husband commissioned the work to celebrate the impending birth of a child, and indeed some have up the subject's enigmatic expression and loose garments to pregnancy. For ah. reasons that remain unclear, Da Vinci never gave the Mona Lisa to the Giocondo family, first taking it to France and later bequeathing it to Soli. Yeah, Robert Stack was saying, like, oh, he loved this painting so much that he carried it around with him. But what I had heard was that he was not happy with it. Oh, and so he, like, carried it around in hopes of, like, I don't know, fixing it at some Something point. With it? Yeah. Oh, interesting. But yeah, I know I very know. little about art history, so all of this is news to me, but it's interesting. I'm here to tell you that if on your bucket list you have See the Mona Lisa, you can pass. <laughs> I've heard it's not all that it's it's crazy. It's a lot smaller than you it's imagine it, isn't it? pretty small. I mean, it's not... It makes sense that this would be like a portrait in someone's home. It's really not a museum-sized piece. It's just a small portrait, but it's so famous and people make such a point of going to see it. that There's always a huge crowd. It's behind plexiglass now, which, you know, there's sort of a glare. It's just hard to see. I, I, I'm sure go to the Louvre. There's tons of stuff, but you don't need to like make it your life's mission to go see the Mona Lisa. You will live fine without having had that <laughs> very brief experience of going, oh, huh. That's what you'll do if you see it. Oh yeah, huh. okay. Lisa. Lisa. Yep. I mean, you're not you're not supposed to take pictures, and everybody does. It's just a total shit show. So, 
I'm gonna say skip on that. That's a good advice. And I, uh, yeah, I don't uh, think that this woman discovered anything other than people have symmetrical faces. I, both of these people were from Italy. I like what the fact that he was so much older when he. I mean, we don't. I guess we don't know if that cell portrait is legit, but he was way older in that portrait regardless than the age he'd be when he painted the Mona Lisa so that doesn't even make any sense I'm not gonna paint a self-portrait of myself and age myself (laughs) I also sort of feel like it's not a discovery to be like oh a painter used their own face for reference it's like yeah that's the face that was like around right (laughs) like if she was no longer like he had this painting around with him for a year she wasn't sitting there posing for him that whole time exactly so he just like got out a reflective surface and was kind of like what does the nose look like oh yeah i i i was like this is not a discovery no people have faces that's the mysterious (laughs) lesson (laughs) they didn't even talk about when the the one of these was stolen for a while that's what i think yeah, put that in there. Get rid of this update and put that in the episode. They we hear from this woman, Kathleen, and I don't remember what her job title was. She was like the person that was skeptical because it was like against Da Vinci's painting philosophy or some bullshit reason. But her rich person voice is hilarious. Is that really like her voice? If you're an art historian, maybe you're you, you're supposed to. Talk oh, like I that. I just don't know. I just don't think Da Vinci would do such a thing. I was like, that is not how you talk. Please tell me. <laughs> Please tell me that's not how you talk. I mean, no, never has a man written down one thing and done something else. That's completely impossible. Okay, so we're going on to a missing persons now. This goes back to March. 29th 1990 so steven marteo of johnston rhode island came home to find his house quote oddly silent Mm. his wife his wife yeah was that odd to you steven allegedly not uh he is a wife of 12 years dorian wasn't there and supposedly a small suitcase some clothes and a few hundred dollars from their safe were missing i have to say so He's like, oh, my wife's missing. She took a small amount of the money we had at home. I was like, not all of it. Mm-hmm. That's my she's, first red flag. She's she's leaving you to start a new life. And she was like, well, it would be selfish to take more than $200. <laughs> did you okay. give his... I, okay, so he's a dirtbag. Spoiler alert. But did you give his mustache a name? I would call his mustache the dirtbag. It's a little unsettling, isn't it? That's kind of like uns- kind of also evidence in my mind <laughs> that he has he, this mustache. He is unsettling. His mustache is unsettling, and they are a perfect pair. <laughs> no, th- it's like yeah, so. It's so geometric. It is it's like shaved into this, like almost like a pyramid triangle. It's like totally ignoring the grains of the hair, like. <laughs> It's like, no, I don't care what the hair wants to do. This is the shape mustache I want. I'm going to circumpose that on top. <laughs> it's like, just from that, you can tell this guy is a control freak. Uh-huh. Like, no, That's your true. face, really tell your a lot about face a is fighting you. Your face is fighting you. And you're like, no, this is the mustache you'll have. Even though it looks makes me look like a cartoon villain. Okay. So, yeah, she only took a couple hundred dollars from the safe. Uh, but, however, the car was still there and there was no note. Dur- Doreen was 35 she left years old. left on foot with $200. Years- 
yeah she was like this is enough to start a new life a couple pairs of shoes change of clothes two hundred dollars uh she was 34 years old when she disappeared since then there have been several unconfirmed sightings but no other signs of what happened to her steven apparently has spent thousands of dollars searching for his wife and is offering a measly five thousand dollar reward for someone that has a home safe with money in it i felt like five grand reward are you kidding me five grand that's it that's all you can pull together you find your wife all right it was really four thousand nine hundred (laughs) and yeah it was like whatever she took less um i i was gonna complain about the stimulus but i'm just gonna let that go okay (laughs) not going on that road yeah where he was like well you already have 600 (laughs) so actually this reward is (laughs) okay so however perhaps you've noticed this hint of skepticism in our voice but obviously we are not saying anything but the police believe this is the police now believe that dorian was murdered and that steven as the husband is the natural suspect we learned that yeah i know i that blew my mind i was like steven with his unsettling mustache and control issues you're telling me he might be the suspect of this woman's disappearance i don't know we learned that the couple met in 1976 and married two years later Stephen worked in the jewelry business. His hobbies included weightlifting and, quote, driving fast cars. Don't trust him. I don't even know what that, like, his own cars? I don't, what? I don't even know what that means. Yeah. Um, Doreen was the purchase manager at the prestigious Rhode Island School of Art and Design. Um, Or maybe it's just Rhode Island School of Design. Sorry. Uh, Both were outgoing and seemed well-matched. But in 1989, Doreen... Doreen abruptly quit her job, saying that she needed to change, which was a big surprise to everybody. Her husband claims that her behavior after this became erratic and that he thought she was on the verge of, quote, a nervous breakdown. We get a reenactment that does not make him seem very sympathetic, where Doreen is crying in the dark at night and he comes out and is like, do you have any idea what time it is? Oh, nice to see you too, honey. Um... But then, of course, then he's like pleading with her to tell him what's wrong, and she's like, "I can't. It's not. It's not you." I'm like, all right, sure. Um, I like that this is like based on his account, and he still comes off seeming horrible. That like when his own wife was like sobbing, he's just like, "Do you have any idea what time it is? You're so oh, annoying." Dick. I know. Um, so after Dorian disappeared, he did nothing for two days, assuming that she just needed her space. She needed time to think things through. After that, he called Dorian's mother and asked if she had seen Dorian. And she was like, why haven't you called the police? So that's when the police were contacted. It turned out, it comes to light at this point, that the husband had hired a private investigator on and off for the past year to follow Dorian around. Um, No wonder she didn't want to tell him why she was upset. But according to Steven, they never found anything. What were they looking for? His rationale for this was just like he wanted to know what was wrong and she wouldn't tell him. So he went to the very natural state (laughs) of hiring a private investigator to follow her. Makes sense. It's not couples counseling. Yeah, I was going to say, 
anyone else would go to couples counseling and like try to create a safe environment for her to talk about whatever it is that's bothering her, which might be that she wants to divorce Steven. Who knows? Uh, but instead, he was like, I'll get to the bottom of this. Hello, P.I.? I I like that this guy has the money to hire a private investigator for basically no reason, but can offer a $5,000 reward. I just... All right. Okay. Well, I mean, you see, he doesn't really need to find out where she is, because he might already know. He might, allegedly, possibly already know. Um, at this point, Robert Stack tells us that the authorities had nothing but suspicions, meaning there was no actual ev- evidence connecting Stephen to the crime. Then on June 13th, 1990, which is two and a half months after she went missing, the police received two anonymous letters written on a typewriter. They were disparaging of Doreen's character, saying that she was cheating on her husband and calling her a harlot, which is hilarious. Let's bring that word back, please. If someone called me, if I was like, I don't know, walking down the street and someone leaned out of a car window to go, you harlot, I would like fall down laughing. <laughs> the idea of someone being like, I don't know. It just has an, an old fashioned charm. Yes. That that yes. slut and whore just don't really encapsulate quite like harlot. Ah, so beautiful. Um the police spoke to her co-workers about the allegations in the letters because they mentioned specific names. Um, but all of her co-workers were super surprised and did not corroborate this information. So it seems like they weren't specific about what the letter said, but it seemed like it was saying that she was cheating on her husband with all these people from work. And then they went and talked to people at the Rhode Island School of Design. Everybody was like, what? No, <laughs> we have no idea what you're talking about. And in one of the cases the the guy she was supposedly having an affair with was like really old so everybody was like yeah no <laughs> which just makes me think that steven had like heard people's names of people at work but hadn't met them probably i bet that's you know what i true. mean it doesn't seem like he gave a shit about <laughs> that he's like wait who's someone at work yeah yeah jim oh she was having an affair with jim and then they go to meet jim and they're like okay this guy's 80 years old <laughs> Are you telling me? I'm just making up that name, by the way. I don't know what the was in the letter. But the idea of like, yeah, we really don't think she was having an affair with a super old man. This letter does not seem very credible. No. Um, and also, it was so cringy. Did you feel like when they were reading it, you were like, oh, yeah, what is this? I mean, it's very like incel chat room. Yes, that was the vibe I got. It's very, yeah, it's, it's creepy. But... But also they were like, this is clearly someone who would know Doreen really well because it had a lot of specifics, but also some of that information was wrong. So it was like, yeah, it does kind of seem like someone who just heard her talk about work and then tried to like connect pieces of a puzzle to make her look bad. And then people were like, but none of this actually like, yeah, you know, all our names, but none of this actually makes any sense. Nobody's having an affair with an 80 year old. Like, calm down. How? Um, slightly weirdly, we hear from her sister, who does confirm that she had an affair, but it was about 10 years earlier. She had talked to her sister and her sister's husband for advice, and they sort of convinced her to stay with Steven instead of, like, run. I guess the the person she was having an affair with was going to have to move, so she had to decide whether or not she was going to stay with her husband or move with this other person. And she decided to stay with her husband, and... Uh, that seems kind of unfortunate. Yeah. It, um, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. 
Yeah, I know. So the police did get a second anonymous letter. It accuses Stephen of the murder. However, the police still think that Stephen is the author of the letters and that he put that in there to throw them off. I wish it's funny to me because like I, like the police are super incompetent. We see that in these cases all the time. But in this case, like they're not being distracted by these clearly foolish things at all. Like Stephen's like, I know it'll throw them off the trail. I'll say I did it. And they were like, oh, hi, Stephen. Like, they just immediately know that it's him. Or they think that it's him anyway. I guess it's not proven. Um, yeah, Stephen at this point is still the logical suspect. They also find out that the first letter was written on a typewriter belonging to one of Stephen's close relatives. Yeah. Uh-huh. So what's a little bit weird about this is both Doreen's sister and mother don't believe that Stephen did it. Um, and they cite the fact that there's no evidence to connecting him to the crime, but also that they've seen him clamor to the foot when the phone rings or when mail comes as if he's like expecting news that she's still alive. I kind of wonder that if that be the only thing he's worried about. <laughs> yes. What if that's the, like his lawyer calling to be like, yeah. the police are coming for you. They know you did it. You're so guilty. Um, also, from I, the update, I mean, okay, we have the, I mean, being that we're watching this in the future, <laughs> we have right, some. Right, right. We have some information they weren't privy to back then, having considering it hadn't happened yet. But I mean, just considering we just talked about the sister, I was like, yeah, the sister doesn't want to think he did it because she convinced her to stay with him. Well, that's a good point I hadn't considered. Yeah, I'd feel so guilty. Right. She doesn't want to be like, I convinced my sister to stay with a murderer. No. Ugh, like, yeah, yeah. Right. That's that's my theory. Um, okay, so the segment ends there. We do hear from this guy in the uh, in the segment telling us that he didn't do it, but and then just police officers being like, "No, he obviously did." Like, we just need to prove it. Um, so the update is that nine years later, Stephen goes on to kill his ex girlfriend, wound her boyfriend, and then commit suicide. Unfortunately, there is no update on Doreen. No, but I mean, I mean that does. But I, I mean, the guy is a murderer. Uh, we don't know what happened to Doreen. Um, I, I think it did say that like her family still thinks that she's alive, but the police believe that she is she is dead. They just don't have any evidence. Okay, I'm gonna read this directly from Unsolved Mysteries Wiki. We thank them so much for all their hard work. Results unresolved. Doreen's mother eventually came to st- accept that Stephen was most likely involved in her disappearance. Although no trace of Doreen has ever been found, a shocking development came about in July of 1999. Stephen shot and killed his ex-girlfriend Laura Vincent and seriously wounded her new boyfriend Sal Palo. He then drove to a secluded barks hampstead reservoir and committed suicide his suicide letter mentioned that he was alive quote nine years too long which this would be nine years after dorian's disappearance Mm -hmm. and that he quote felt guilty for dorian's disappearance but he did not claim direct responsibility Hmm. however these actions seem to imply that he had something to do with it many detectives are certain that stephen killed his wife but the case cannot be closed until Doreen's remains are found. A search of the area near where Steven committed suicide turned up no trace of her remains. I mean, that's almost a confession. It might as well. I mean, who else? Who that's else? the thing. It doesn't seem like this woman had any enemies. She was working at an art school. 
I. It is chilling that he's in the in the episode. He does have a very flat affect, which you you shouldn't take as evidence. But I got a creepy vibe from him. I don't know. That's not evidence. But seriously, who else would have killed this woman? And c- given what he went on to do, yeah, he's a murderer. Yeah. So um, and clearly a jealous person, yeah. and um, has some control and anger issues. Or he did. I guess he's dead. Um. Yeah, I feel like that's pretty solved. Clearly, the authorities are treating it as a closed case. Um, poor Doreen. And I yeah. wish that, yeah. Too bad she didn't get justice, but. I can't put her remains to rest or whatever, but. Yeah. It, it, it's always we- it's always creepy when you hear from the person that did it or you assume did it. Yes. And they're just sitting there like, we've got to find Doreen. And you're like, mm, hmm. I bet you could. <laughs> I bet you could find it real quick if you wanted to. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Samantha's got the last one. Ugh. This one is a wanted, and we're looking for someone for tax evasion. And Samantha's like, I don't care. Not really. Rarsack says we're looking for someone who defrauded the U.S. government for, like, I don't know how much money. I'm kind of, like, good. I don't know. Um, on- <laughs> Samantha's just jealous. She's like, why didn't I think of that? Um. On April 6, 1993, businessman Raymond Young, his son, and several friends went scuba diving off the coast of Louisiana at the mouth of the Mississippi River. At 6 p.m., Raymond and his son decided to make one final dive. 20 minutes later, his son returned, claiming that he could not find his dad. Uh-huh. A massive search. <laughs> <laughs> Again. Are you sure? <laughs> you sure you can't find them? Maybe All right. again. Yeah, uh, to me. Uh, okay, a massive search turned up no trace of Raymond. His family assumed that he had drowned, but the authorities believed that he had faked his drowning and is still alive. Huh. So, so Young was a flashy, self-made millionaire who owned and operated a wholesale fuel company on Marco Island, Florida. The idea of calling someone flashy that's running a wholesale fuel business is... I sound like this guy is selling sports cars and fur coats and stuff. It's like, <laughs> what do you sell? Fuel. Oh. Very exciting. I mean, we don't hear a lot about his personal life. This is a really, really short. I bet he. I bet he only gets. I'm like like picturing someone like getting out of the back of a limo with two models, and people were like, "That guy's in the fuel business." (laughs) So he set up the company to distribute diesel fuel for offshore marine use because he supposedly sold to wholesalers only. He was exempt from paying federal excise taxes. However, when customs officials discovered that millions of dollars were flowing in and out of his personal bank accounts, they suspected that he was really scamming the government. (gasps) And he was the first person to ever do so. They later discovered that Young was selling his fuel to retail gas stations throughout Texas. He then pocketed the money that was supposed to be paid to taxes. Sounds like a mistake to me. (laughs) It was estimated. Simple, honest mistake. Yeah. It was estimated that he was stealing 40 cents per gallon. It is believed that he defrauded the government in excess of $15 million. In October of 1991, the IRS and U.S. Customs Services launched a joint investigation into Young's activities. At the time, he began to liquidate his assets. So he knew that they were like on to him. Uh, so this disappearance was conveniently timed. Eventually, the authorities charged him with 17 counts of tax evasion. However, he left Florida while the investigation was still underway. 
In May 1992, he resurfaced in New Orleans. They watched his Mercedes, which was parked next to a luxury yacht. <laughs> Records uh-huh, confirmed that the boat uh-huh. belonged to Young. Also, why were four people in a car for the stakeout to be like, oh, yeah, that's him? I don't know. And are we going to talk about about the lead lead undercover guy's ne- neon pastel <laughs> striped shirt? Is that the guy that had the office mullet? I think so. His this hair is like PSI Miami too, with all of the yes. yeah, with all of the sunglasses and stuff, the mullets. Yeah. yeah, it was it was that was the highlight of the segment for me, honestly. Otherwise, it's super boring, super fucking boring. So when he went to the boat, he was arrested. Uh, for some reason, Young was convicted, convinced that he would be acquitted. However, in January of 1993, <laughs> he was convicted on the tax evasion charges. Mm-hmm. So even though he faced up to 13 years in prison, he was granted bail to clean up his personal and business affairs. Uh, it's interesting in this episode, we have two different sides of like the bail system. <laughs> we have right. Travis who couldn't afford to get out on bail, which is just, you know, enigmatic of how the system locks up poor people. And then we have this guy who like, was clearly guilty, had defrauded the government $15 million, had the means to escape, and eventually does. And they're like, yeah, you can go out on bail to clean up your business affairs. Right. There's no way there's, like, someone that works for you that could do that. Right. Right. Uh, So two days before he was to be sentenced, he went on the scuba diving trip trip and vanished. Authorities are certain that he's still alive, because of course he is. Uh, so this case was also profiled in America's Most Wanted. The result is that he was captured, but he spent seven years on the run. He was found in Costa Rica in 2000. He was arrested and returned to Florida in April 2001. He was sentenced to seven years in prison and since has been released. His wife, Anne, was also arrested and charged with helping him escape. Okay. Not sure if the son helped him, but seems huh. like he, he, he must had have. to live. I love a scuba escape there's just something very like early 90s about the idea that he put on a scuba suit and like scuba it away <laughs> scuba it away <laughs> i don't know it's so funny to me it is it is it is pretty funny actually we were yeah we were very like a little bit after the whole country being like super into surfing in the like late 80s it was like ooh scuba like that's the the cool rich person hobby thing that we aspire to is like scuba diving. I don't, it's, it's hard I love to, the verb to, to scuba away. She's <laughs> so scuba away. Uh, as a, back when there was like no young adult novels, where there was very, very few young adult novels, I was a huge fan of Christopher Pike mystery slash horror novels which has the absolute best covers ever still still undefeated but so many of those books i clearly that guy just like liked scuba diving and knew a lot about scuba so many of those books involve scuba somehow (laughs) and like people like attaching scuba equipment to the outsides of boats so they can like fake their own death and then (laughs) scuba away uh which the idea of trying to put on a scuba suit underwater just think about that but um uh, yeah it just brings me back brings to to being very concerned about the bends oh no (laughs) too much too much oxygen in my bloodstream 
So maybe one day I'll get the chance to scuba away from my problems that I don't want to face by possibly faking my own death. You couldn't metaphorically scuba away from your problem. Just that's what you're doing when you're like you're you're up at night in the in the middle of the night online shopping instead of sleeping. Just like, imagine oh. that you're actually scubaing away from your problems. I'm so glad my problems are over there and I'm in a scuba suit over here. <laughs> and I'll never deal with them as I look at my scuba watch and use my yeah. bright yellow underwater camera. For some reason, yeah, we were very into things being like waterproof or ability to go in the water, which made them have to be yellow. <laughs> like a sports Walkman had to be yellow. That's how you knew. That it could resist the water. I guess you can like see it. I don't know. But now I'm just yeah, me, my my yellow Walkman lying around in my scuba suit. Uh it's the life. That guy did get a yeah, live on the run for seven years. I assume drinking out of coconuts and just having like a great time, eating all sorts of um, amazing seafood and stuff. So, what a bastard yeah. yeah he was just in costa rica i'm sure on the beach oh no fair that sounds great right now <laughs> it really does all right let's rate this episode i okay. suppose uh mysteriousness it's not that mysterious no is it i don't think so is the mona lisa painting do yes, i it care is. check it's a big um did this guy defraud the government yeah he totally did check um well look i'm not sure i'm allowed to say what steven did it to his wife but she's not around check also and well true check 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 (laughs) and then this wanted also oh this is one of the least mysterious ever thumbs way the hell i'm gonna i'm gonna grow extra thumbs to give this more (laughs) thumbs down no what do you think of the reenactments I, I actually the jailbreak reenactments there were was pretty a car good. Chase, someone was hanging out at the side of the the car, yeah. shooting at police, <laughs> pretty throwing intense. throwing bad Molotov cocktails, yeah. going through uh, roadblocks and stuff. Not bad. Um, the scuba scene could have been more dramatic, but uh, I would have appreciated if we got some reenactments like of Leonardo painting oh. his own face. That could have been funny. That would have been funny. Okay, I'm going to give it a sideways. I feel like there's some missed opportunities. Yeah, I agree. Um, fashion. Well, we've got an office mullet. We've we got do. a very unsettling mustache. We do. I don't we re- have an, an electric neon pastel button-up shirt on an undercover cop. Some sort of weird sheriff's hat. I'm still going with just a sideways. I feel like it's a sideways, too, because it's there's, despite a few highlights, it wasn't that much. And the mustaches, no. I mean, they're okay. No, but I'm not even... I, I, I feel like this is doesn't even get an MVM, so... Yeah, no. No. Sideways. Nah. Almost down. Sideways tilting down. Are those all, the, all of our categories? Robert Stack? No. Robert Stack is barely in this. Yeah, is he just gonna be less and less in it as it goes on yeah, because maybe. he's he's too busy tanning by the pool and can't be bothered <laughs> to come to work? Maybe he's too busy mooning about scuba. He was like, "Oh, that sounds like a great idea. Could I do that off my yacht?" <laughs> uh, yeah, thumbs down. I mean, he did help us form an unholy alliance, but other than that. Yeah, other than that, I don't know. Yeah, thumbs down. Boo. And on our Robert's deck scale? A two? So yeah. forgettable. I'm not so, going to remember this one. 
so not mysterious this is the opposite of mystery it's just mm-hmm. when stuff happens mm-hmm. <laughs> it's more like errands than mystery yeah not a fan i'll just give a, it a two just events yeah two it's not memorable enough even to be a one no no got- that's true that is really true because our one episodes are very memorable you remember how much you hate them this we're just gonna be like he did what now oh yeah i guess he oh, yeah he scuba away yeah <laughs> oh yeah he hit on a peninsula Where was the purpose of justice when he was scubaing away that's my question hi clearly he was needed somewhere else been on the job it's a, it's a big ocean it's true only one porpoise <laughs> He was busy, Samantha. He can't be everywhere at once. He's no—he's not Superman. True, it's true. Well, that's it. That concludes season six, episode nine. I'm hoping the season's gonna pick up a little bit. Me too. This is it's dragging. Been a bit of a roller coaster. There's been a few highlights, but a whole lot of lowlights. Yeah, I would really like someone to make it rain inside right about now. No kidding. If only. Well, do you have something to recommend to our dear listeners? I do. I feel like it's also not an exciting recommendation, so perhaps it's like the perfect cap to this episode. <laughs> okay. But I have another chronic pain recommendation that was actually recommended to me by friend of the pod Alexa, and then I used this product and I went, okay, this is amazing. So Alexa told me to look for the very generically named The Village Company, mm. which almost sounds, sounds made like up. a cult. Or it sounds like you would go to that website and you'd be like, this is just phishing. Like, (laughs) this is just going to steal my information. But it turns out that's not the case. So a company, The Village Company, makes a product called Chronic Pain and Fatigue Body Wash. Oh. Which is in a, uh, I think it's a blueberry scent. Let me see here. Ooh. I don't really know what the deal with this product is. But it does feel really good. So I don't. I'm not even a body wash person, despite being a woman of my age. I prefer a, a cold processed soap. But there's something about this body wash that's like kind of tingly. Mm. And it does feel really good if you have like aching joints or other sorts of pain. Okay. Maybe but for my mom. That sounds really nice. I actually immediately sent some of this to my mom. But this, so she recommended this product that I think her mom found at like the Burlington Coat Factory. Okay. <laughs> And she said, oh, I think you will like this. So I ordered some and I was like, oh, this is actually really nice. It's kind of soothing. But obviously it's body wash. It doesn't last a long time. But sometimes just breaking that pain cycle is enough for your like muscles to relax or whatever. But they also sell what I'm really recommending, this chronic pain and fatigue body soak, which Mm. is like a salt soak for the bathtub. It also has a blueberry scent. This soak is so helpful. If part of your body aches... That will be, that will be in the tub that will be underwater. I really, really recommend this. I've been having so much trouble with my hips lately, and soaking in this in a hot bath for even just like a small amount of time is really helpful. I can't explain why, and maybe just a salt bath of like any kind would be helpful. But this feels really, really good, and just like I don't know, I can't really explain it. It seems like slightly miraculous. I sent this to my mom as well. So it's their chronic pain and fatigue body soak. And there's probably enough for three baths in a container. And let's see what that costs. And that costs $7. Okay. So it's not that bad. 
Um, the body wash will last a lot longer. There's a lot that comes in the bottle. It's 20 ounces, and that's also $7. Nice. And I've been ordering it directly from the website. The shipping is not bad, con- particularly considering that these things are, like, pretty heavy. They do have some other bath soaks. One is for just, like, cold and allergy. One is to, like, help you sleep, stuff like that. I haven't tried all those, but maybe that's something that would be more interest to you. I love this is Pain this a fatigue local soap. company? It's telling me it's in Aiden Prairie, Minnesota. Oh, maybe. I have no idea. Like I have no idea. Huh. Um, this has been so helpful for me, and I've been doing it. I don't even really like taking baths, honestly. But if I do this before I go to sleep, I sleep a lot better, and I'm a lot less achy. So I would say if that's something that is appealing to you to give it a try it's really not very expensive and i think from just the one packet you'll know whether or not it's something you like i don't know let me know if it works for anybody else or if i this is placebo interesting this appears to be the company that makes mr bubble yeah i saw that they have like this is in their like more natural line but they they own some other natural therapy i'm looking at it right now okay okay Chronic pain and fatigue. I'm gonna, I'm gonna order me a, <laughs> a bunch of these. I think I know some people that would really like them. Um, yeah, they also have one that's just called Aches and Pains Muscle Relief. Maybe I'll try that too. This one looks like it has more of a menthol-y scent. Um, but I've had a really good, um, particularly if you're just like sitting a lot. I think we're all sitting a lot right now. If that's like starting to kind of get to your body and make you achy, you might want to try this. Uh, it does have good. it does have fragrance, so if that's a problem, I'm sorry, but um, but and they list all the ingredients right there on the website, so you can see if there's any allergy. I issues. like that it's blueberry and not like a, a floral. I'm kind of sensitive to floral, and I know some people are are like that as well. But blueberry sounds so good to me, and it's not the strongest scent. I mean, you can tell that it's fragrance, but it's not one of those things where you open it up and you're like, oh, whoa, like it's yeah. overpowering. Um, yeah, I think it smells nice, but it's it's fairly subtle. Yeah, It's not like, I don't know, uh, it's not like an air freshener or something. Right. <laughs> where you're just like, ah, I can't handle it. Um, yeah, yeah, this is a local company. They're in Eden Prairie, Minnesota. Oh, they're saying this is enough for nine baths. Mm, I used it in three. I mean... You were a little generous with it. Yeah, I guess you're only supposed to put half a cup in, but... I mean, it's going to depend on the size of your bathtub, too, and, like, how much water you put in, so... um, Yeah. I I have nothing very profound to say about it, except that I like it. It's a great recommendation, actually. And you can read a bunch of people's reviews. I don't know if they take down the bad reviews, but they are all seem pretty positive. I can't imagine, like, getting a bad thing of body wash and, like, taking the time to write a bad review. (laughs) Oh, that's true. (laughs) But maybe that's just me. (laughs) That's body... I mean, look, I got time. It's just, yeah, whether or not I would have the motivation or energy. (laughs) The the body wash is nice. Um, It just has, like, yeah, it has, like, a slight, almost, like, tingly sensation that if, yeah, I don't know. Like, maybe your lower back or something is bothering you. You could give it a try and see if that helps a little bit. That was a good recommendation. Is it? Well, I I, I endorse this product. I mean, I ordered it for my own mother, so there you I go. I ordered for my own mother, so. All right. I really struggled to come up with a recommendation this it's week. It's getting like harder it's and getting harder. It's getting a little harder. I'm not doing a lot of new things. Yeah, so. I know. It's you becoming know? a little difficult. 
but I do have something to recommend. And it's a TV show that has been around for a while, I think, but um, we're just sort of, we're a little late to the party, which is true for a lot of TV shows to, for us, honestly. And it's the glass blowing competition show on Netflix oh, called sure. Blown Away. I watched the first season of that. Okay, so we ac- we started and accidentally started on the second season, so we know who wins the first season, but whatever. Um, I'm really enjoying it. It's but I we love these these like creative competition shows. So it was kind of a given that we would like it. But I do find it really relaxing. I find it interesting. They say the word glory hole a lot, which is yes, they Um, sure do. (laughs) Lots of things about glass blowing are very dirty sounding. Yes, through no through no fault of their own. I mean those those words had to come from somewhere, and it turns out glass blowing is where they all come from. Yeah, so we're not com- we're not finished with the second season, but I will say that I'm really enjoying it. We're learning a lot. I don't know anything about glass blowing, so it's all very interesting to learn. There's like the second season sort of has a villain, not not really a villain, but there's just sure. One- well, some of these competition shows have the one person that's kind of a dick. Yeah, and yeah. You're just rooting for them to lose, but they always win each 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 episode. This season kind of has that, and I'm looking forward to his, his downfall. I don't know. Well, maybe he wins, maybe not, but um. But I'm really liking it. My only complaint is I wish each episode was a little bit longer. I wish they... they They're only have very one. short, yeah. They only have... And I guess, I mean, maybe they didn't want to stretch out over multiple days. It doesn't seem like you could do more than one project in a day because it's like a thousand degrees in this warehouse. They, they do this. It looks very uncomfortable. But I do wish they had like mini challenges or something. And like, they only do like one big challenge and make one big piece each episode. So that's... I, I kind of wish there was more, but I am enjoying it. And the stuff they make is incredible. I'm like, you made that out of glass? There was one there was one episode where this guy made like a sippy cup and it looked like plastic, but it was made wow. out of that. It was incredible. So yeah, I'm really enjoying it. Um we're a little we're struggling a little bit for t- new TV, Travis and I. So. Understandable. Yeah. Um, but we were enjoying we're enjoying this show. So I enjoyed season one, like moderately i was like oh that's fine you know i obviously i had never mentioned it there is something kind of soothing about watching the glass get like all stretched out and shaped and stuff that's when they break them though yeah well yes one person who gets their entire piece made and they're going to like take it off the thing the stick thing and it just shatters (laughs) and you there was a few times where like we gasped out loud because it was like oh no you just spent like four hours on that and it just breaks it definitely convinced me that glass blowing is not something i want to do oh no i've I've always thought it was like you know beautiful and kind of interesting like i would you know i was like oh maybe one day i'll learn how to do that and then i watched this and i was like no thanks yeah it just seems so hot and Mm -hmm. the like the ability to make a mistake that ruins your whole thing is just too easy. Yeah, definitely. It seems too stressful. And then I would feel like too guilty or whatever for having messed it up. And I was just like, there's no way. And yeah, you have to like work with other people, but also like everything's insanely hot and could burn you. So it definitely would not be the art form for me, but I enjoy watching other people do it. Yeah, it's interesting. And I just, it's nice to have like art on TV and people talk about art and, I thought a lot of things they made in the first season were honestly really ugly, but it some was of it so- is definitely not my style. Even things that are very impressive, I'll be like, "Well, it's not really my style, but I'm impressed by it." Sure, yeah, exactly. It's just kind of nice to like hear people talk about their process and mm-hmm. any, you know, I don't know. 
it's not something we can't really go to the museum right now so we can bring art into our home in the form of competitive glass blowing (laughs) reality tv (laughs) there's another show that i haven't like we didn't keep watching it but i i feel like you i mean some people might be interested it's that that cooking show where they make everything out of leftovers oh that's on netflix too we watched a few episodes it honestly wasn't super good but bravo years ago tried to make a ripoff of project runway that was about art and i think they only did one season of it and now i can't i can't remember what it's called but maybe travis can track that down for you it was actually really it's actually one of his favorite tv shows uh it was actually pretty interesting because they had it was like all different types of artists or like compete on different challenges and so you would see like how they would interpret it um but they didn't do it again i guess it wasn't that popular one guy was like going to at one point make chlorine gas as part of his project (laughs) and then realized that that could kill people (laughs) they were like you can't we're not insured for this you cannot make chlorine gas i'm and just yeah i mean there's lots of cliche things you can say about artists but some of them kind of are true (laughs) and then you go yeah you probably shouldn't make chlorine gas as part of your art shop project probably um god i wish i think it's just called like work of art or something it's called something like super generic we've been watching thanks to your recommendation we've been watching uh australian master chef on tubi oh (laughs) yeah thankfully there's like every season of that show has like 100 episodes (laughs) so in a way not an exaggeration like they're literally will have like 80 episodes in a season that's amazing i I wish i could yeah that's what i need i need something with 80 episodes a season to really like get into there's there is something about television and like the formula of it and the predictability of it that even if you don't like something once you've watched a bunch of episodes you're like okay i'm kind of into this now it's true (laughs) or you've like you've gotten into like the 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 rhythm of it and you're like no now i really need to know what happens now i'm super invested even though originally i thought this was pretty stupid (laughs) okay i think that brings us to the end of our episode I think it does. Another one from the books from the greatest unsolved mysteries we rewatch podcast the world has ever known. This was Perhaps It's You. So we have a website, perhaps it's you.com. You can find our recommendations there. You can also find our sweet merch there, like yeah. information about our zine, or you could order some sweatshirts with a cool illustration of us on it. Look, there's a lot of options. You're going to want to go over there. There's also our social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Our Facebook groups where people chat about stuff. Um, what else, Samantha? Patreon. You, if you have a few Ooh. extra dollars burning a hole in your pocket, we have a back catalog of over 30 episodes on Patreon, and it only costs you a dollar a month. So go check it out. It's perhaps it's patreon.com slash perhaps it's you. Um, we're doing paranormal home inspectors this month. We've got some exciting plans. I feel like I don't know how if you feel this way, but I feel a little more like burst of motivation towards our Patreon now that we're over the Unsolved Mysteries reboot. <laughs> I have to I have to agree. Particularly doing something like Paranormal Home Inspectors, which is a little more lighthearted Fun, than talking yeah. about stolen children. <laughs> so um I'm looking forward to talking to you about some possibly haunted homes in Canada as some yeah, a nice break from gruesome murder and horrible things. Look, we're never doing a Patreon episode about the orphan train. You know no. what I mean? No. Okay. What, what if the we... next the next round of reboot episodes have an orphan train? We'll just, oh, we'll just be like, look, can't do it. We'll have to get a guest. Get a, make it a guest. Do it. That's our 
That's our We're not mode. even on the episode, just someone else. <laughs> yeah, that's our mode of operation. Um is there anything else that we need I think to that's say? It. Give us a five-star review. Smash yeah. that subscribe button. Smash that subscribe button so hard you break your phone. <laughs> I think that's pretty much everything. So we so. will be back. I mean, probably next week, but I, I don't even really want to promise. We're not going to make any guarantees, but... Yeah. We'll be back at some point to kill you with our deadly vocal cords. <laughs> Until then, stay home, stay safe, solve mysteries from your couch. Bye. Bye.